Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Wild EM Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Trump, and this is a podcast about bringing you better care out there. Wild EM is my attempt at helping medical professionals, outdoor professionals, and enthusiasts at giving and hopefully not receiving better care out there in the wilderness setting. Disclaimer. The information contained in this learning material is for general educational purposes only and is not intended to provide specific professional medical advice. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the authors and they do not reflect the opinions of any organization nor members with whom the authors are associated. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with our content establish a doctor-patient relationship. Before we get into today's show, some housekeeping. We have had a bit of a hiatus, but I'm excited because we are returning full charge for season two with 10 episodes to be released on the first of each month. We will have our usual wilderness medicine topics and journal clubs, but we're also going to be trying some new stuff with episodes focused on physiology to improve our patient care and crisis resource management to optimize our personal and team performance in high stakes environments. Also, if there are any topics you would like to see covered on the show, please reach out on social media. You can connect with me on Twitter at WildEM at Poutine Medicine. Again, that's WildEM at Poutine Medicine. Also in the plans for this year is a website with show notes. We have the site up and running, but it still needs a lot of love and time to get proper show notes done, so bear with me. In the meantime, you can still check out the website at WildEM.ca. That's W-I-L-D-E-M dot C-A. Okay, with no further ado, on to today's show, where we are going to talk about tourniquets. Definition. So what is a tourniquet? A tourniquet is a device that checks bleeding or blood flow by compressing blood vessels. Easy enough, right? But what's not so easy is figuring out which tourniquet to use. Commercial versus improvised device. I'll give you my conclusion right away. If you have the space and training, use a commercial device. They are easier to apply correctly and probably work better too. So let's take a step back here. What does the scientific literature have to say? Well, unfortunately, there is very little data for outdoor professionals using an improvised tourniquet. One study published in 2015 by Craig and All showed that using chopsticks as a windlass performed better than pencils or craft sticks. But that being said, chopsticks still failed often. And the main takeaway from that study for me was, and I quote from their discussion, arterial occlusion by improvised tourniquet use was not reliably attained because of ineffectiveness percentages were high. So for this reason, and because a commercial tourniquet can be a life-saving tool, I find that I'm seeing them carried more and more often during activities such as diving and mountain biking where there's space to carry them and bring them along. I think knowing and practicing a few improvised tourniquets Remains important though, because personally, when I'm trail running or rock climbing, I just don't have the space to be carrying a commercial tourniquet. When to use? First, let's take a step back and remember when we would want to consider using a tourniquet. If you recall on episode 2 on wound care, we talked about wound hemostasis. And there we had said that the first go to should always be direct pressure, which still holds true. But when appropriate direct pressure fails and there is significant ongoing bleeding, that is, or may rapidly become life-threatening, you want to reach for a tourniquet. So, concretely, times where I would apply a tourniquet would be for any patient in shock, presumed to be secondary to a bleeding amenable to application of a tourniquet, 
or during the initial assessment of a patient with an acute extremity pulsatile bleed. For that second case, the reasoning is that a pulsatile arterial bleeding will become life-threatening if not promptly dealt with, and the application of a tourniquet right away will deal appropriately with that bleeding to give me the time to go through the rest of my initial assessment. In my experience, some bleeds, thought to be arterial in the field, end up not being so, and some non-pulsatile venous bleeds, though not arterial, do eventually become life-threatening if not dealt with in time. So where I'm getting at is there are situations where it is obvious a tourniquet is needed and other situations where direct pressure is just fine. But there are also a lot of gray areas where let's say you've just arrived on scene and there is a lot to do. So in those situations, it is my personal opinion to err on the side of caution and to use a tourniquet and to consider removing it once everything is under control after your primary survey. So we'll get back later to when and how to consider removing a tourniquet in the field. An article published in 2018 titled Use of Tourniquets in Limb Trauma Surgery reviewed cases where tourniquets were used and compared to matched patients who had a compressible injury that would have benefited from a tourniquet but did not receive one. The survival in the tourniquet group was 77% compared to a whopping 0% in the matched group. Now, obviously, this is not an RCT, and these types of comparisons have many potential issues but it does serve as an important reminder that tourniquets likely save lives when applied in the appropriate context. Technique. So, you've decided you need to use a tourniquet. Now, a podcast is not the ideal way of describing the application technique, but I plan to make some videos and upload them to the website, so stay tuned. Or, better yet, take a wilderness medicine first aid course. I took my course a few years ago with Boreal River, and I have only good things to say about. But in the meantime, here are a few pearls to consider. Start by applying your selected tourniquet around the injured extremity. Next, place the tourniquet as proximal as possible to the bleeding site, but not over a joint. If you're using a commercial device like the CAT tourniquet, fasten the self-adhering band. Next, twist the windlass until the bleeding stops and lock into place. Once you've tightened, it is important not only to ensure that the bleeding has stopped, but you also have absence of any distal pulses distal to the tourniquet. At this point, it is probably best to tighten even a bit more to account for any further blood pressure changes, especially if you are resuscitating in the field, which may potentially increase your patient's blood pressure. If you tighten the tourniquet and only check for the bleeding to stop, you may have occluded the venous system. When this occurs, the arteries can still pump blood into the extremity, but blocking the venous system prevents any blood from returning to the heart. Needless to say, this is no bueno. Specifically, because occluding the venous system only will lead to increased swelling and pressures in the injured extremity, which may in turn even worsen the bleeding. So again, after you've applied the tourniquet, ensure that you have cut off both arterial and venous circulation, and you do so by making sure there are no pulses distal to the tourniquet. Per the Advanced Trauma Life Support course, or ATLS course, if one tourniquet fails to do the job despite it being as tight as possible, you can consider applying a second tourniquet just proximal, meaning higher up than the first one. Now, I've got to say I've never needed to do this nor have seen this personally needed, but it's still in the textbook, so good to know. And once successfully applied, note the time of application. Most commercial devices have an area designated for this directly on the tourniquet, which is very practical. Disposition. So, you've successfully applied a tourniquet. Now what? Well, 
If you'd applied it appropriately, meaning it was for a life-threatening bleed, it's urgent to get to definitive care. In an article by Leonol in 2017, suggested that application for longer than two hours can result in permanent nerve, muscle, and vascular injury. And after six hours, there is critical muscle damage, likely needing an amputation. So needless to say, once the tourniquet is on, it's an emergency to get your patient to definitive care. Okay, but what about those gray zones we were talking about earlier? Specifically, what if you came on the scene, there seemed to be a bad extremity bleed in a sick-looking patient, so you rightfully applied a tourniquet to immediately deal with the extremity bleed to buy some time to appropriately assess and deal with the primary survey issues of your patient. Now, once the dust has settled and your patient is a little more stable, you wonder if the tourniquet needs to stay on, and that's because the clock will be ticking to get him to definitive care. Or maybe if the tourniquet can come off. And you might be able this time to deal with the bleeding with less aggressive measures such as direct pressure and after that a bandage. Obviously, this would be great because your patient's disposition would not be as time sensitive with regards to the extremity bleeding. So this brings up the question, can you remove a tourniquet once it is applied? Again, referring to the Advanced Trauma Life Support course, they recommend a single attempt to deflate or unwind the tourniquet can be considered in an otherwise stable patient. And what about intermittent tourniquet tightening? Literature from the operating room has demonstrated that intermittent tourniquet tightening can lead to less tissue ischemia and potentially buy more time. I've got to say though, this has only been done to my knowledge in the operating room in a controlled environment where it's possible to transfuse blood products and I've not seen any specific recommendations to using this technique in the pre-hospital setting. And personally, I would not think of doing this. Another important consideration with tourniquets is analgesia. It is very important to treat your patient's pain, and an appropriately applied tourniquet will be very painful for your patient. So we will have a whole episode dedicated on analgesia in the wilderness setting coming up, so I won't talk to this any further right now, but stay tuned. And lastly, what about antibiotics and timing of tourniquet use? Kin Yula and Alm published a paper in 2011 showing that receiving antibiotics after tourniquet application compared to before did not result in any more infections. Now, it's a bit strange to wonder if you would delay tourniquet use to give IV antibiotics, but regardless, this is what was studied. It's also interesting because once the blood flow is cut off intuitively, I would have thought that antibiotics can't make it to the injury site and therefore more infections would develop. But this is actually not what the study shown. So I think the most important point is to realize that if you've applied a tourniquet as a life-saving measure and the patient survives and his main issue down the road is an infection, though not desirable, I think we can say it means you did a good job. But I still thought it was interesting to mention this here. Conclusion. So in conclusion, tourniquets can be a life-saving tool when applied appropriately and in the right circumstances. If you have the space, my recommendation is to use a commercial device for their ease of use and better performance. And take a course, get the appropriate training to know how to use these tools. If you've applied a tourniquet, per the ATLS guidelines, you get one chance at removal to see if the bleeding is well controlled with less aggressive interventions. And once the tourniquet is on, permanent damage can occur after only two hours. It is a time-sensitive emergency to get your patient with a tourniquet to definitive care. And that's all for today, folks. I hope you enjoyed the show, and until next time, remember to keep your paddle in the water. <laughs>